Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello there and welcome to the Mad Sounds podcast in what's the debut edition of the Mad Sounds podcast. My name is Will Sparks and I'm joined by Matt Maynard. Here I am, the co-creator of Mad Sounds, London, London's premier indie night. We like to think yeah, so. Just London at the moment. We hope to go other places soon. Uh, and you're right, you're listening to another podcast. We decided that since we can't run the indie night at the moment, for obvious reasons, we try a hand at podcasting and during the podcast interview some of ours and probably your favourite indie heroes have a little debate about some of our favourite albums and we've got a lot more things coming up for you in the coming weeks but just if you could Matt just enlighten people on who we are and what we do first well before I'll we be start delight- our feature for today <laughs> I will be delighted to first things first you tell you what, it was a nightmare getting a microphone for this podcast because it seems like every microphone on Amazon is sold out but you've got one now and it looks wonderful it's, yeah look- go, go, go on give them a name check give them a name check this is the um is it the blue ball it's the snowball it's because it says blue in front of it it's the snowball this is the snowball available from all good internet retailers and it looks great you look a bit like john motson at the moment but it's fine the audio quality hopefully for our listeners is fantastic um but yeah on to enlightening people and our big listenership already hopefully on what we do um so we have run an indie night um currently across a couple of uh, east london pubs and clubs so old blue last in shoreditch and uh, also the victoria in dalston um and yeah basically we've decided that because of our expert music knowledge, no, that's not true necessarily. Um, we're going to bring you a podcast, and um, we're kicking off this week with our indie heroes. So we're going to hopefully bring you some an array of amazing indie hero guests um, from all the bands that we used to love, especially from 2005 to 2010, the golden era of, of indie rock music. Oh, yes. And this week, we have none other than Milburn, star, lead singer, frontman, also um, of the book club and, and uh, good cop, bad cop, bad cop and reverend of the makers and reverend of the makers uh, bass player as well fingers it's in so a lot of pies fingers in so many pies very talented man sheffield one of sheffield's finest they've got a lot it's joe carnell what a man. Joe Connor. i'm so sorry i took the thunder away you were just about to announce it and i had to come in and try and correct you one up <laughs> you on the indie points but it is joe car now we'll give the, the name more uh, emphasis one more time it's joe connor and it was absolutely lovely to speak to him um first of all what a uh, as we say in the trade down here a diamond geezer for giving us so much time uh, and so many stories and tales from his days in milburn uh, including the split Uh, and the comeback and what he's been doing in between, which is more interesting than you think because what he's done in between, which obviously leads to the interview, is is amazing really in retrospect, considering he was at such a height in terms of his career. And then when Milburn split, what comes in between and then what comes after is absolutely amazing to listen to. But we'll leave that until until the feature. Well, yeah, one little thing that I really found hilarious talking about was parents' evening. What parents' evening's like when you've been in a band like Milburn 
That was that Fantastic. was a hot person. I, I, I just imagine that bit with some massive Melbourne fan going along with his vinyl, trying to get it signed, <laughs> buttering up the first record, and then Joe, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Y- y- your kid's still, your kid's still really stupid. I'm still not giving him a good review. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. absolutely slaying his child after. Okay, yeah. without further ado, enough of us talking. Here's Joe Carnell. Very, it's a lot of similarities in music and football. Just when I think I'm done with Sheffield Wednesday, I've got to go and see him. Just when yeah. I think I've done with playing in bands and, and damp, dark rehearsal rooms or writing songs that no one listens to. I mean, this is me <laughs> beating myself up for no reason. <laughs> but I, I have I have a few months off and then I, I'm desperate to do it again. And, and that yeah. is, like, we missed out on a couple of... Good cop, bad cop. My other project. Um, yeah, we were supporting the Rifles on a couple of shows, acoustic yeah. shows, and we were looking forward to finishing up in Leeds and Sheffield. And they never happened because the virus. And we were also right. going to support the Pigeon Detectives on a tour. Nice. And that didn't happen. And at the end of the year, the Reverend have got a propaganda tour up and down the country, and we don't really know if that's going to happen. Yeah. So you do those Christmas gigs as well with Reverend every year. They're pretty legendary, aren't they? In Sheffield, they're amazing. Yeah. God, so yeah. You can't imagine that one being cancelled, surely. It can't, mate. Honestly, this is um, it's a big part of my life. That yeah, total accident. I started them, so this year's coming up to the tenth year I've done it, and I started that in the back room of a pub in front of a hundred people, um, and every year it sort of doubled and doubled in size, and and it's become this ridiculous thing where actually it's also a big part of my income for the year, which allows me to go make right good cop bad cop record. It allows me to experiment. It allows me to spend you know maybe six months writing a record because there's not the it's not the money there was when i was first started in music so to sort of generate it yourself whilst having a family and a mortgage it's enabled me to do so many things so yeah if that doesn't happen i'm um, i'm screwed yeah, 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 yeah. I, mean, I mean, Milburn gigs are famous for their atmosphere. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I've, I've been to see you once. Matt, Matt's a, a more I, I mean, Milburn veteran in comparison you, to me, aren't you? you I think you've seen them four times. I'll set the okay. scene. It's four times, but it was all the the, the comeback era. It was all the all right, yeah. 16, 17. Because I was about 14, 15 when you were, when you were, yeah, the first, second album were out. Um, and so, yeah, from, coming from where these softy sovereigns, aren't we? You know, we didn't, we are, didn't yeah. venture up there. For, yeah, we are. We didn't how, venture how, up. how do you become that that kind of band? Because you know, you could compare it to a football crowd. It is very boisterous at your gigs. How do you yeah. become that sort of band, or do, does it just sort of create itself? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think initially, um, when you've got to remember, like when I when we were writing those songs for that first record, I was fourteen for yeah, some of those. Mad. That's mad. And, and the lads older than me were 15. So they went on. Yeah. So we wrote those songs between the ages of 14 and 18, let's say, for that first record. Um, and that's how we felt. We felt boisterous. We felt we'd love football. We love certain things. Yeah. And we didn't know we were doing it. And it's sort of similar to the monkeys. We were going through a, a process of our lives. Yeah. Uh, little did we know that, you know, 10 years later, we'd still be singing the same. We'd, sing the same song and people would want to come and see it which is crazy um so i suppose that atmosphere from those gigs the essence of it is in the songs from that first record because that's that's who we were at that time i mean i'm not saying we come back 10 years later and we were the same kids you know but we don't go mental at gigs anymore i mean greeny might do sometimes <laughs> um, you just go through phases in your life don't you but yeah. i think i think the dna is in that first record 
And then, like you said, Will, once once it starts, then people come to expect it, and then they start generating it. And it's almost like it's over to them. Now, we don't have to do anything. We just walk yeah. on stage, and play, play the first chord, well, well, well. Yeah. It goes oh, that's a moment. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy after that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean yeah. Let's take you back to that beginning then, because the, the Sheffield scene was electric when you guys were coming through and yeah. I imagine it gets brought up in every conversation you have about music, but, but people do want to hear it. it, it it's almost become legendary and, and nostalgic, nostalgic even to people who, who weren't there because they, they want to be a part of it. Um, yeah. Just think of those bands out, though, like Arts yeah. Monkeys, Pulp, you know, Richard Orley and Jarvis, obviously Reverend, um, Little Man Tate, they're coming back now as well. All these <laughs> Are you mates with them as well, by the way? Just a quick... Uh, yeah, I know, I know John. I know John. Yeah. It was one of them with Little Man Tate. We were always... I don't know, because we, we were a bit younger and a bit spikier. We couldn't... We didn't... I don't know. We didn't really get on with them. I think we thought they might have... They were like, imposters to it a little bit, which sure. is quite harsh and, and possibly unfair. But right. when, you, when you're 17, you don't give a shit, do you? Like, yeah, you yeah, yeah. You don't care who, who you upset. Um. But now I just wish him the best of luck, to be honest. I bumped into John quite a few times, and he's a lovely fella. And and you also think of the bigger picture. You're like, well, he's probably got – well, he's, I know he's got kids, and he's got a mortgage and all that. It's like, well, I hope he does the best he can do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sort of grow up a bit and, and get a sort of macro perspective on it and think, you know what, fair play to your lads, get stuck in. That feeling around Sheffield and the the, the bands Matt mentioned, did, did it feel like a movement and did it feel like you had to one-up other cities who obviously have a very, um, you know, a great reputation for producing bands like yourselves? Was it the Sheffield, as, uh, the Sheffield movement as in one altogether or was it more you wanted to one-up each other in your own circle instead? It was an amazing time and I, only, I can only recognise that afterwards if that makes sense because at the time it just seemed the norm it just seemed that this is what happens you start a band your mates start bands and then you all get pretty famous sound but it, obviously it doesn't work like that yeah. it's really rare and then as you grow older you're like jesus christ that was amazing but so to set the scene we melbourne and the other bands would agree with this melbourne were the first band to be doing it really Arguably, Little Man Tate used to be called something else, and they were they were a band. But yeah. we were the ones to sort of start this brand of music, dare I say. And I'm not treading on anyone's toes there. I think they don't agree. And um, we used to play... It all happened in a venue called The Boardwalk, which is not there anymore. Yeah, well, made famous to, to a lot of people by Arctic Monkeys as well. Yeah, right? that under The Boardwalk thing. And the Monkeys used to work there. John Reverend used to work there. Um, Chris McClure was on the front of the Monkeys record. He's my brother's best mate. My brother plays guitar in Melbourne. Um, yeah. Some lads went, we used to play football with some Monkeys. Some lads went to school with each other. It was very like incestuous in Sheffield. I don't know if you've ever been to Sheffield, but it's like the biggest village. Yeah, to see you a few times. <laughs> All right, yeah. Um, everyone, everyone naturally knew each other, bizarrely. Like out of Melbourne, Reverend, um, maybe not Monkeys, but there was. There was five of us that went to the same secondary school. Yeah, wow, yeah. Um, That's some talent producing going on there. What's, strange, what's in the yeah. water? <laughs> and I think, so, we, by accident or whatever, or design, we were the first ones to start doing gigs, and we were the first ones, basically, to get people to come and see us, and they were going a bit crazy. Now, so a lot of this, we were just playing covers and, like, sort of learning your trade, but then we'd start to, like, throw in our own stuff, and, and it were going down all right. And I can remember one gig... Alex was stood in front of me and 
it was it was rammed and he was he was getting into it. And I think at that point as well, elders had started to try and play drums, and Greeny, our drummer, started teaching him. Yeah. So, and it's only when you look back, there's there's those sort of real seminal moments, like, oh right, so you came to our gigs, you were like, we can be in a band, I want to do this, and I'll probably thought, well, we, I can do this better, and obviously. <laughs> Um, he he tapped into but, that resource, yeah. Yeah, but I suppose that was our part in the whole story. That yeah, we we were sort of the ones that started to push this boulder down the hill a little bit, or up the hill, depends on you see. And then and then, as any sort of scene sort of develops, you start inspiring each other. And maybe there was a there was an element of sort of one-upmanship. But I can remember hearing some monkeys demos for the first time, and then I think the next night I went up into my bedroom and wrote "Sending the Boys." Yeah, because, well, awesome. I think I think I'd heard. I don't know what I'd heard from them. It might have been like a certain romance. Or something. I don't know what it was. One of the yeah, big yeah, ones. Yeah. I've been been fake tailed. So I I right right. I'm gonna I'm gonna need to write something better than that. Or you know you. I'm not saying it's better, but well, I, I mean, I, I need yeah. to write something as good or exciting or whatever. So I but that that, that first I'm, album. That first album holds so much gravitas, and even now, like we we did a tweet about it the other day, and 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 the amount of people that just come back and go, well, 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 what an amazing album! And that's not to say anything bad about the others either that followed, no, but just no. because that at that time, it, it, you know, it really resonated to a lot of people, and it means a lot going to think, you know, it's a nostalgic album. It brings people a lot to that to that era. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a zeitgeist record, isn't it? It's a bit of a, as Mike Skinner said, it's a bit of a cult classic, not bestseller. Yeah, it is, exactly. And that's what your fan base kind of is a bit as well. Very cool. Yeah, um, it, it's become cool because it's not massive. But those that know, know. Those that know and love it. You know what uh, I mean? So our, our gigs are like little cult fan. Not not that's even little, quite big sometimes. No, do, you, yeah. do, you take com- do you take comfort in, 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 the, uh, in, in the sort of cult classic, not bestseller psyche? Because... Okay, the, the album could have been more commercially successful. It could have, you know, it could have got more, more label plugging, and you could have gone on more shows yeah. and more interviews. But do you feel more satisfied that it means so much more to some people than just a little to loads? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we went. We, it was difficult. Like, I don't know. I've got. I suppose I've got a lot to say on this matter because no one's really properly asked me. Um, we we split up first time, and I think I was 21 at that point, and I thought it was dead old. <laughs> um, and we split up because I think we thought no one was listening, or basically our close friends were taking over the world, essentially, and we weren't. And we were like, hang on a minute, they're great, yeah, but we're good as well. We're pretty good. What's why? Why are we? You know, and we'd be moaning that we were only playing in front of like a thousand people in Leeds. Like, well thousand people at gigs amazing do you know what i mean yeah. and if if you're from a different city with, with no nobody else doing anything you'd be the guys that everyone looked up to but it's because that our, our mates and friends were gonna they weren't gonna leave and play in front of a thousand people they were gonna tokyo and yeah. melbourne and do you know what i mean and i think as as young lads or young people that was hard to to get our heads around because you're so ambitious, especially young boys. I think it must be like a testosterone thing. Yeah. You're so competitive and you're so ambitious and you think you're so right. I think all of us had a little bit of why, why is that not happening to us? I can't, this is ridiculous. I can't, I can't cope with it. I can't, I can't get my head around it. And yeah. Certainly for me, cause I was dead young. Um, I just thought we thought we'd done as much as we could that it was never going to change. No one's ever going to write about us or listen to us or play us on the radio. And you can t- take your ball home, don't you? And it's like, I'm not playing anymore. 
good um, analogy. So did yeah. that was that did that feeling come straight after the second album or a little bit after these these are the facts was released that you decided uh, that it wasn't going to go anywhere? We, I think we did a tour. We did a we did a, you know we had many ill advised decisions. <laughs> ill advised. We made many ill advised decisions, but we did a right. tour of universities, and I think we did the tour <laughs> when students weren't even there. It was ridiculous. It's like well right. we did. We did it in the summer or something, or right. Easter holidays, but no students were there. So like the gigs were just pretty flat because they were they weren't empty. Yeah. But it was just, and we just thought, what are we doing? Why are we doing this for? Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the smart money would be to, if I were like managing us back then. I said, right, you're feeling like this, go away. You've got a bit of money because we did all right. Take a year off, go and travel go and you know live somewhere for six months then come back and make another record the fans will still be there yeah but we we did i suppose at that age everything means everything if that makes sense everything yeah means you were 20, 21 when you broke up right yeah so that was my world um and not so young mad. though yeah to, to break up to think that you know that you haven't got time ahead of you to and the second album was i'm right in saying off the top of my head matt you might know this is just a year after the first was yeah, less than um, it, wasn't it? 2006, well, 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 and then 2008, these are the facts. But, oh, okay. But it was, it was quite early doors. Oh, you, what, you might be right. Might be was, that, was that pressure from the label, or was it you as a young man going, we've, we've done something amazing, let's go and produce even more gold as quick as we can? Or I, was it a mixture of, the, of both? I think it was fundamentally an attempt to change perceptions because we got, we got a lot of lazy sort of... Arctic Monkeys covers band insults or reviews. Yeah. yeah. Which, which looking back, is kind of wholly unfair if you, if you dig a little deeper and, and think about the story of where the two bands came from because they came yeah, from absolutely. the same place. You know, we live, we live like less than two miles away from each other if you threw a, threw a net over where we all grew up. So there's going to be similarities. And what used to sort of get on my nerves is you'd have Manchester bands sounding similar and they'd label it Manchester. Mm. You'd have loads of London bands sounding similar, and it'd be the coolest city on earth. But Sheffield bands sound a bit similar in, in the first records, because they're going to. And then it's like, oh, no, we can only have one of you. you and everyone just said we're right to monkeys. Go away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, well, if, if the media could have fostered it a bit more, who yeah. knows where we, we could have been on five, six, seven records now. We'd have gone totally different, because, you know, you have different lives, don't you? Yeah. Um, yeah and different interests and all that. But anyway, getting to the original question, <laughs> coming back in 2016, it all sort of fell into place. It's all sort of made sense about the cult classic thing. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. We, we kind of played the long game, for whether we were like to or not. And this Melbourne thing, it just wouldn't go away. People, like I joined Twitter and people asked me literally every day when Melbourne were getting back together for about six years. I'd say you've got a very active fan base as well. Like the people that follow you, are, you know, really follow you and want to know what you're, you're thinking and what you had for breakfast, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, not... Just talked this morning, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's not, it wasn't necessarily our intention. Or I don't think we've even sort of encouraged it. Not definitely not discouraged it, but not encouraged it. Um, and I think that's, the, that's sort of the magic of the music, isn't it? If, if it connects with people in a certain yeah. way, once you've released it, it's out there and it's up to, it's up to them how, how, what they do with it. But we were just blown away by the fact that when we announced it and we, we booked one gig at the Academy and then within a couple of days, we'd sold four out. Yeah, And yeah, we were yeah. like, oh, right, shit, people care. 
people they really do. Get. They do really you think? Get... Do you think the the time period from when you split up to when you got back together it, it it lets the emotion in people build up and also the resonance and and those people get older as well. And when they come and see you, they want to go back to a time when they were young, like you were, and and sort of relive the same experience. Where and they maybe don't take it for they take it for granted when all the music is coming out and they're able to go to these gigs willy nilly. But when you got back together, maybe it was a sense, a sense of that. Definitely, yeah. I think they it was not. I mean, a huge dose of nostalgia for everybody, including the band. Um, I think there's, there's sort of two two threads to that. There's those people, like you say, that maybe a bit older would now stand at the back of the venue. Um, and maybe they they come to like we did a few European tours. They probably like travel to see us, and spend a bit of money. Yeah. And then then there's like the likes of you, Matt, which missed it the first time. Yeah. And then there was a lot of that. Like there was a lot of the audience that had never seen us before, and and it made this sort of magical room where the young ones brought the excitement and energy, but the old ones brought sort of the volume and the mat, and they and, and they'd stand at the back and know every word. So, you know, any gig, if, if you're at the back of the room and people are singing, they're going mental at the front. Yeah, yeah, you know exactly, I mean? yeah. Like the, the gig's is only as good as the person at the back of the room, and if they're loving it, then you're on to a winner. And that's every Melbourne gig is everyone. I mean, it, I, I remember going to the one at Coco, and I, was, oh, okay. I went with my mates, and I, I was arrived a little bit late. You, you weren't on yet, but my mate just lobbed a full pint on me when I, on arrival, and they wouldn't normally do that, but it's just because it's a Melbourne gig. Yeah, I can do that. I can love a full pint over you, and it just brings that atmosphere. And how did that make you feel, Matt? Apart from oh, wet. I loved it, mate. I'm, apart from wet, yeah, and covered in, in beer. Thirsty. Yeah. I don't want to give the perception that they're unnecessarily aggressive, because they're not. No. It was still it's, like, it's like people just come to to sort of lose, lose themselves in the songs, and that sounds pretty naft on it. I might have to re-say re that, but... <laughs> No, that's true. Do you, do you think there's? Um, do you think? Do you think there's another band out there like that at the moment who who, who recreate that? I mean, obviously I there's know. a few. If you if you pinpoint, I mean, the Cortinas might Cortinas might come to mind, but they, yeah. they've got they've gone a bit more than cult now. Um, let's face it, they're huge, and I think yeah, I suppose they're doing that on a way bigger scale than us. But a, when you've gone to an arena, you can never get you can you can't go back. No. So yeah. although yeah. I'd love to have Liam's um, bank balance um, <laughs> and it, they do some amazing things, some huge gigs and they are like, I can imagine them being really special. We, you can't like a venue like the Leadmill in Sheffield or like a smaller capacity yeah. one. There's something amazing about doing those gigs. They're like incredibly exciting. Um, yes, I suppose Cortina's a one. Uh, Reverend have done that over the years. They've, yeah. they've yeah, come for yeah. this sort of cult status and, and that's growing again. And obviously I play with them, so I've seen that firsthand. And that's been an amazing since the last, oh, how long have I been in that band? For eight years now nearly. Um, it's gone It's gone amazingly well for them and, and it's just developed and grown. I mean, maybe I've got the Midas touch, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, Joe Colt Carnell, they called him. Yeah, <laughs> there are. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are bands. I'm sure there are, there are loads of other bands, and I suppose that's the thing. If they are cult, then we wouldn't necessarily know about them, would we? So, well, exactly. Um, so, just reversing slightly, you know, you were talking about the reasons why maybe the the band ended, and and the reasons why you weren't getting the the, the reviews you deserved. I actually came across some tweets. Back in 2013, from yourself, there was, was this like a, a little bit of a vendetta with NME going on. Where they did they write some stuff about you? Was that to do with Arctic Monkeys? Uh, I don't know if you remember this. 
And Matt well, Helders got involved and, and replied and basically said, uh, I saw Milburn loads of times, but I, I, before I even owned drumsticks, Joe Green pretty much taught me to play. That's what he, that's what yeah, he did. I do. Yeah, now you say that, I do remember that. Um, I think we'd been included in like a top whatever list of indie bands. Right. And even, and because the enemy with us, they'd always, whenever they said something, there was like an undertone of disrespect or, I don't know, cynicism with it or whatever. Um, and that's everything they ever said about us, even like the articles that were on us. That right. Before. Strange. Yeah. Um, and they, they just did not like us. They didn't, they didn't want us around, I don't think. Um, and even even all those years later, even like five years later after we split up, even when they were writing about us, they still had to have a dig. And that's wow. when that's when um, Matt said something. I think Andy said something. Andy was the yeah. Uh, Andy said something as well. Original bass player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he and he's and he stepped up and, and said something. And you just yeah. think, well, what what what's your problem? If like people are still into into it and interested, yeah. Then you know, why why do you? And and then I suppose the the irony irony is we're doing it again and and people care and they've got like. Comedians <laughs> and actors, and they haven't got a magazine anymore. To be fair, exactly. so, <laughs> does it? I mean, I'm not saying who's laughing now, but Milburn, <laughs> Milburn have won the war. Joe Carnell's yeah. won the war. But just to go back, you Andy said there wouldn't be an Arctic Monkeys if there was no Milburn. So that that says it all, really, doesn't it? If if the the former bass player of the band is saying that, then it must be true. Um, but that's, yeah. I just yeah. think at the time they could, they could all they had to do were ask a couple of questions around town and they'd have realised that although we might not have been you know enemy's favourite band they might not have even liked our tunes. There's got to Which be is some strange. Element of respect there for what part we played in the whole thing. Yeah. More in more modern um, era of enemy when it's become a, since it became a free mag I know it's not even a magazine anymore they didn't really slag slag anyone off to be honest they would just literally love anything because. They couldn't afford to, probably. Yeah, but. yeah. Well, before it was the, the notice. I suppose the industry was still quite strong, and it was pre-Spotify. Yeah. Um, and a lot of journalists at the enemy were, were out just to make a name for themselves. Right. Yeah. yeah so you yeah. get you get reviews of albums. So like, you want to listen to an album, and it weren't like you could click on Spotify. So you'd have to go and spend a tenner in a shop. Yeah. And before before you spent that tenner in a shop, you want to know you, you'd be into it. Suppose yeah, it might have one song on like MTV too, and you'd read a review in Enemy, and it'd be something stupid like, um, I don't know, whatever band's record sounds like, um, an apple and cheese sandwich, and you're like, What are you on about, mate? Yeah, and it was, and it was, there were all these stupid, sort of like elaborate, ridiculous yeah. writing, and it was about the journalist trying to get attention for him or herself to make an see use it as a springboard. And you're like, I still don't, I have no idea what this record sounds like. I don't know if I'm going to like it because you've just written something ridiculous <laughs> to try and make yourself stand out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just also on this sort of similar vein of topic, um, obviously uh, journalists have closely linked you with Arctic Monkeys for so long. Um, mm. And because, because of your close links to them and the fact that they are basically one of the biggest bands in, in the world, does it ever bother you? For them to be brought up in probably every interview you've ever had, um, it did. Yeah, I mean yeah. that was one of the reasons why the band probably split up because we just bored of that sort of question. Um, it did, and now 
I suppose when you step back from it, you think they've sold a gazillion records and people are just going to ask about that initially. Yeah. Uh, and and it's up to me or whoever else is answering the questions to deal with that and and sort of use that and, and guide that. Um, but it, I suppose it gets a bit boring. For, like, so for, for if Melbourne fans tune into this, they'll probably just be a bit annoyed that we've talked so much about Arts and Monkeys. Do you know what I mean? And that's not, I brought it up. <laughs> not having to go at you two. Yeah, just to make that clear. Yeah, we, we, we've got <laughs> Milburn questions written down here. <laughs> Honestly, we have. I brought it up because it's kind of like the elephant in the room. It, it kind know. of is, but and I know it's quite meta of me to ask you a question about asking questions about Arctic Monkeys, but it, I still think it's, it, it sort of paints uh, an important picture of your last 10, 15 years. Yeah, what... yeah. And, and it's weird that. Because we all saw the band all dip in and out of that monkey's world because, like I said, we're all mates. Tom, yeah. Morris, plays keys with him. Um, so we all go and see him every now and again at a festival or an arena or whatever. And, and it's amazing. But then it also comes with its own baggage, that, you know, yeah. that level of success. Um, and I'm not sure it always... I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't make. Wait, I know firsthand. It doesn't make you happy. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You, do, you, just, you just get a little bit more zen or a bit more. Um, I don't know. Reflective about everything as you get older. I know that sounds a bit, you know, patronising for anybody yeah. under twenty-five that's listening. But when you've got kids and all that sort of stuff, you're like, yeah, it's great what they're doing, but they're away from home for extensive periods of time, and I, I personally don't know if I could do that. So say this good cop record. Um, which I released last year, say that had gone massive. Yeah. Which obviously it should have done because it's amazing. It is a great um, record. <laughs> everyone should buy it. Who's listening. Everyone. I'm sure they already have. I don't know if I could have dealt with a month tour, six weeks tour of America now because I'd have missed my kids like that. Yeah. So that that fire of, so not necessarily jealousy, but that envy, I suppose it's the same bloody yeah. thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's, sort of, that's totally gone. Because I don't know if I'd want that life anyway. So, and 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 just lastly, on that sort of same area as well, does the fact that you knocked around with them and you were their peers, does it did it always make it harder to see? Because you know, in terms of record sales, they might have like you know ten thousand times more, but they're not ten thousand times better than you, are they? So does that, no exactly. So does that hard to sort of justify in your own mind why they're there, where they are? It was, and like I said before about splitting up, that was like, yeah, they're great, but so are we. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And they might be, you know, I, I'm not you know, taking anything away from them because I don't think you can. So I think Al is the the songwriter of his generation. Yeah, I but agree it, with that. But it doesn't mean you that guys are great. <laughs> we're awful songwriters. Do you know what I mean? I don't know at all. You know, yeah. But, if we go back to football, it's like, yeah, you, you've, you might have been... Ronaldo, but you know, David Janelle is still a great player. Yeah, but also just it's it's not just all going to be about pure talent or or rec- it's so subjective, isn't it? And it's so luck it's so luck based. The music industry more so than football. Yeah, yeah. I but, mean, time time means everything. Yeah. I mean, you know, I really don't want to go about monkeys anymore, so we'll move on after this. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know, don't. maybe maybe we got our first tune properly out before them maybe we beat them to the to the the thing do you know what i mean when we got an ep out yeah things would have been slightly different but you know they their records are still amazing and whatever 
Oh, well, we, won't say, we, we won't we won't say we won't say the am wrote uh, the, the am word anymore don't worry but um no it was really inter- interesting yeah. although, <laughs> although we are we did want to talk to you about good cop bad cop at some point and obviously you did, and then who you know, produced made, that yeah so the links exist and we can't really get away from them can we look, so that's look, the, thing. The, fact, the fact is that you might not know this either the guy who replaced and is my cousin nick 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 o'malley's your cousin. cousin yeah yeah so, like, I, I mean, we. I was, did you? I, I go out to my nan's house, and yeah, I get and there he is. What Alex Turner's had for breakfast? <laughs> who, what like, did he oh, have? Or who he's seen or whatever? Like, nan, I don't give a shit. What does he uh, have for breakfast? Probably nothing. What words? Yeah, he eats poems. He eats poems <laughs> for breakfast. Um, so yeah, it's, it's inescapable. It's inescapable, and it's fine because we're friends. So who cares? Yeah. Um, well, let's just let's also you obviously your brother's in in the band was in Millburn yeah. with you was that ever difficult was that ever the Gallagher brothers or was that always just you two get on so it's all fine um we've always got on pretty well to be fair we've yeah. always done everything together we used to we all Melbourne all used to play for the same football team yeah. and um for the last few years I I'm a bit younger but I played for them because my dad was the manager and he was like well you just couldn't play with us because I can't be asked to do two trips on a Sunday or whatever. And they'd often tell you that I was on the bench, which was true for a little bit, but I did play a lot at the end. Um, <laughs> so we've always centre mid or centre half. Okay, um, so but less I, technical. I, I can't run. No, I'm quite... Oh, right, you are technical. I can pass with the ball, I can't move enough. Um, anyway, <laughs> whatever. Um, well, what we're saying, yeah, me and my brother have always got on pretty well to be fair um we've done a lot of things together growing up and i don't know we what we tend to do is we have a go at each other all the time but then if one of somebody else joins in and has a go then we'll, we'll round on them and annihilate them instead yeah uh, i mean there's a bit of footage of that first album being made where me and him have a massive barney because he's been stubborn and then i'm being offensive over nothing really but nah I just can't be asked um <laughs> It's quite nice. It's, it's nice doing stuff with your brother. Yeah. But yeah, then, yeah. I mean, this is going to sound incredibly cheesy, but I've known the others, lads, Greeny and Tom, they've known each other since nursery school. And we started playing the fo- same football team as them or being around them at the age of six, seven. So I've known them for most of my life. So lose my brother, but they're like cousins anyway. It's a bit like Kings of Leon in that respect. So I'm like, I'm the godfather to Tom's daughter. My brother's the godfather to his son. Sure. And it's just, you know what I mean? We just sort of in each other's lives. So yeah. the thing I think people find me moving, having spent a bit of time with us. So Bill Ryder Jones produced the last record and he just couldn't believe how we spoke to each other. <laughs> there, is, there is zero filter. There is zero pretense. There's zero sort of trying to, protect someone's feelings it's just yeah. out you know as you as you can only do with your closest friends yeah or, or your family you can't do it with anybody else because you just you just split up when you, you just won't get on yeah yeah yeah. just more on a personal level um you what happened in the middle between you, between Millburn and not splitting up you, were you a teacher um so what i did i think the last ever gig well last ever gig the first last ever gig yeah, was in May 2008. So I think you're right, Matt. I think these are the facts, which was 2007. Um, that was in the May. Oh, okay. 
And then by September, I was enrolled at Sheffield University studying history, like three months later. Wow. Um, so I did my degree, I did a master's, and then I did a teaching qualification. And I still teach now, not full time. Oh, okay. Still teach a couple of days a week at the minute. I've been in, a, in and out of it. What um, are the kids like with you? Do they, do they know? Do they all know? It depends. Uh, it depends what school I'm at. At the yeah. minute, I'm, I'm out of the way in Chesterfield a bit, and I'm yeah. an old man, aren't I? So it's normally what happens is I don't say anything when I start a new job because I cannot yeah. be bothered. I'll be asked with it because I don't want it to distract, just detract from what I'm doing. Cause I like teaching and I think I'm pretty good at it. And I think, yeah. I don't know, like other members of staff can get a bit annoyed because they think people only like my lessons because I'm in a band. And I just, I don't need that. It's like, well, just let's just not tell anybody. And if they like me, then great. Um, but what tends to happen is someone will find out within like a few months and then it spreads like anything does at school. And then it's all they want to speak about for about two weeks. <laughs> And I just shut them down, shut them down, shut them down. And then they stop asking because they're you on never, the next You don't do like a David Brent and bring in the guitar, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I do not. <laughs> no. I've been asked to, but I'm just like, I don't know. I don't think I did karaoke last term. To yeah. The what was um, your song? Did you do did, Cheshire, um, Cheshire Cat Smile, surely? I did not do that. I did the Twist and Shout because I thought they might have a vague idea of it and they just stared at me at, like, what is he on about? Yeah. Because they, they, they have no idea who the Beatles are, um, which is yeah, quite that's, depressing, isn't it? Our mate's uh, a teacher in Nottingham and I kind of thought that the kids of that, at least up north, would still have appreciation of, of music, but I don't think they do even at, at, in this modern generation, do they? They're all no. into, what into I get hip-hop and R&B. What, what I get a lot of though, so the kids are like more bothered because I've got a, a Twitter account or Instagram. Yeah. You want to get the a TikTok? Big, the big ones are um, parents' evening. I get a lot yeah. of like, parents just come and stare at me. <laughs> because they've had dad's a big Melbourne fan. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> or they know someone who is. And that's quite funny. I, I don't mind that. that makes me laugh. And then we might have a chat about it. And I don't mind because. I had, the other the other week actually I had a coffer come into work. I'd just finished teaching, and he knocked on my classroom door, and I'm like, "Aye aye," and he were in all the regalia, in all the u- uniform, and I'm like, "What have I done? Has my car been nicked? Is my wife all right? What's happened to me? You know what I mean? When a coffer turns yeah. up to a place of work, are you Joe? I'm like, oh shit! <laughs> and then uh, from behind his back, he whips out a Reverend and the Makers record. And he wants me to sign it. <laughs> So I'm a bit like, oh, right, phew. Okay, fair enough, mate. No worries. Um, we, but then, yeah, that's bizarre, isn't it? We've got a mate that wants you to um, release the, the Well, Well, Well on vinyl. Is that, is, could that ever happen? Yeah, we looked into that, I think. And I don't know if it was something to do with the label, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure how we get around that. Because I don't know if we necessarily own those tunes. I'm going to have to mm. look into it. So... It's, it'd be Universal who have the rights to it, and th- therefore they would have to put it out. Um, but I might like I might have a little look on Twitter and see see how many people would be interested. I think and that's another thing that I always get asked. But I think well, 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 on a nice blue vinyl would look amazing. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But I don't oh, know how yeah. we get around it. If the if the if the record company won't give us the rights, which I don't know why they wouldn't. If we'd no. yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> we might just have to record like. Or try and dig out demo versions of the actual songs. I don't know that we are the demos. I used to listen to those demos before the because I think there was a there was a long gap between some of those demos coming out and the first album being released. Right? 
Yeah. And I think that was... Well, it, it was a massive crossover period, though, Matt, right? Yeah, people, it's true. People and labels did have no idea what they were doing. Yeah. It was such a transitional period. So we didn't even put our demos online because we were told not to by our management. Right. They didn't want us to put them online. And then someone leaked them. And it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to us. Yeah. And, and I think, so the management were old school and they didn't get it. And they were like, no, because essentially you're giving your products away for free. Why should we do that? Um, and meanwhile, but not to talk about them again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's true. They were file sharing but, but, and that was how they got big, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and, but funnily enough, I know the guy, the lad, and I'll name check him so he listens to this. Well, he might not want to be name checked, actually. We'll call him Mr. K. He, um, Wait, hang on. Is this the guy that had the website? Yeah, he had their MySpace. And they the, went to, the one that went to jail? No, no. Oh, okay. He, Sorry. he didn't, he didn't the website. He had the MySpace page for monkeys. Right. Uh, and maybe, yeah, like he, he was obviously instrumental in in starting that, that thing and, and they bought it off him and that's his claim to fame. So he'll like, <laughs> he'll like it that I've mentioned it. But he went, he went, went to school with me. Um, uh-huh, okay. It's Sheffield, isn't it, everyone? Yeah, you, yeah it's mad. It's everyone. quite a big city, but you seem to know. Yeah, it's bizarre. Um, <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so, so someone leaked our tunes and we sort of pretended to be shocked about it, but secretly like, yeah, thank God for that. And um, and it sort of just happened, and, and the gigs started kicking off, like not just in Sheffield. And before you know it, we went down London, did a gig. It went nuts. The next time we were down there, the room was just full of A&R men from labels. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. about a week after that, we, we got a, an offer of a deal. Um, but at that point, the industry did not know what to do with file sharing. And it's probably got a better handle on it now because not everything's given away for free now. Like, well, every, everyone's got a Spotify account, right? Or, or Apple yeah. Music. Yeah. So that's what happened. That's just the done thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's tough. It's a weird, weird industry now. Like, it's still quite old in a way because the, the labels still own an awful lot of you. And the amount of money you make as an artist make off streaming is just disgusting. It's like, Naught point naught naught five pence a stream or something. Oh yeah, you have to do ridiculously. I say it's a pastime, just going down, you know, just paying a tenner for an album, and, and like you say, Joe, you, you want to know some a bit about the band before you before you go and buy it. But n- now you you can just bring it bring it up on the screen, and I usually decide whether in about thirty seconds to a minute after just kind of skipping through the songs whether you like it or not. It's a bit. I mean, I'm Matt's a bit older than me, but I suppose we've both been through different experiences of um, getting music and i'm certainly one who hasn't been able to go and buy music properly in the shops it's always been streaming and youtube for me yeah um, do, do you think did it just put more onus on the artists in terms of touring releasing more um, yeah you've more got to try and find a way of making money haven't you um, yeah and maybe that's through thinking so getting stuff off tv pro on tv programs on like netflix things yeah uh, through merchandise it's through touring festivals so the, this this summer is going to kill off some bands because they're going to think well i'm gonna have to get a real life i'm gonna have to get a proper job because i can't afford not to have a diary full of festivals because festivals pay money so we were left with loads of middle class bands then and no working yeah class. yeah load of mumford and sunder <laughs> great oh great Fantastic. oh no we, yeah, we, we've, well, we've never played them at our night. You'll be pleased to hear. Good. Oh, I'm sure they're <laughs> lovely fellas. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's so hard. And But then I suppose what you do get is those bands that really want to be there and really believe in what they're doing, they'll carry on because they'll do it yeah. whatever. 
Um, yeah. I say it might be a bit of a call that for those bands that are just doing it just cost. But then again, that's a bit brutal, and I don't necessarily believe that. Cause, in cause business, it, they call it zombie zombie firms. So maybe it's zombie bands. Oh, really? going, yeah. Well, it's going to happen across the board, isn't it? Those, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Quite depressing. Um. Um, so, so you talked about buying records, Will, and, and that was it, like, a tenner, I used to probably buy a record a week and a tenner when you're, like, 16. is You know, it's a chunk of money that you, you want to make sure yeah. you're doing it right. But the whole sort of culture around music's changed. Like, I had a student, I'd been marking some work for her, and she asked me any recommendations for bands, because she knows I'm in a band and she's quite interested in music. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to give you any new bands, because that's your job because you're like 15 and you should be onto it. And if, if I know it before you, there's a problem because I'm 32. Do you know what I mean? But but I recommended her, like, listen to, because it's teenage angsty thing. So I recommended, like, The Cure and The Smiths because I yeah. thought, well, start there. That's dead basic. Um, but you know what? She might never have heard of those. And I just, I just can't believe, like, someone could get to 15 and not have heard this charming man. Yeah. Or, like, uh, Friday I'm in love or something. And, and that's quite, like, indie like yeah. basics in it but absolutely 15 year old these days do you know what i mean and, and yeah. imagine that power of being able to introduce like recommending some of morris's lyrics and just and just staying on that as well it, it might ask you, is your brother older or younger than you he's older so same with my brother he's three years older than me i remember him blasting out the stone roses first album when he was yeah. probably about 13 14 and just Obviously, at the time, I didn't really know what music was. But when I got to that age, I found myself putting the Smiths on and the Stone Roses. And just sort of that, when you give it that first listen, there is a lot of teenage angst and a lot of uh, things to be found that I can't really put my finger on. But did you listen to a lot of what he listened to or did you try and buck the, the family trend? No, de- definitely. That's one thing I'm going to credit him for. All, because I was the youngest. I was just sort of told what to listen to and what to do anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, I suppose that's that's his role in the band. I know he's the guitarist, but he's a bit more of the, like the tastemaker. Um, so a lot of the records at the time I'd have got into because of him. So like the first Coral record, that was because Lewis liked it, and then that obviously had a massive impact on my life. Great um, record, yeah. Yeah, but he liked further. Like I would have never have listened to same with you. Will I wouldn't have come across the Stone Roses because I was in that era where it didn't, no one mentioned them anymore. Now, obviously, they've come back, but I wouldn't have heard a Stone Roses record. I wouldn't have probably heard definitely, maybe, until a bit later. Um, so, yeah, my brother was a big part of that. But then we, what we sort of did, which made, made us a little bit different, I think we found, like, we got into The Clash quite a bit, and we quite liked ska music for some reason. We had a little dabble with ska music. So yeah. You get all this skanky stuff in Melbourne Records, and we had this, like, two-tone compilation record that we were well into, like Toots and the Maytals and all that. Yeah, and I think he found that, and we got obsessed with it for like three months, and then we'd have a, like an offbeat guitar chop in like every other song for for six months, and you just do yeah, you just yeah. do find records that you all get into, and then they sort of make the bleed the way into your music. Is there a band yeah. at the moment that you've sort of got your eye on and think they could maybe change the scene, or you think they're doing something that other bands aren't doing uh, right, right yeah. now because they, they are thin on the ground, to some people would say. I think the most exciting band for me for a while has been Fontaine's DC. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. We love them. We'd, yeah. we'd, um, we'd, we'd wholeheartedly agree with that, yeah. Saw them, saw them in Sheffield, but I don't see many. It takes a lot to get me out of the house these days, unfortunately, because you're just older with kids and that. Yeah. Um, but I went and saw them 
and I just thought there was something about there them. Is, and, there's a presence. And him. There was some... He's yeah. got that... It's, it's the clean Dublin accent as well. I, I love it. Yeah. It's, it's so yeah, no, you're right. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, it's sort of a mixture of... Um, Kurt, Ian gonna, Curtis. Uh, I, I was thinking Ian Curtis wrote Love Actually for a minute and Blackadder. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the other bloke. That's Richard care. Curtis. Yeah, Richard yeah. Curtis. <laughs> so he's got a bit of... Um, what I was going to say is he's got like a an Ian Curtis meets Liam Gallagher thing going on. Yeah. Bizarrely. And you wouldn't yeah, think... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't think Liam Gallagher until I saw him. And he's got that like snarly stare that, thing. Yeah. He's obviously t- massively into Joy Division. But there's, yeah. a bit, there's a bit of something more more 90s about it. Even mm. in like the look. Um, and obviously... And, and I, that's... I know you myself talking about that because I used to hate people like talking about what bands wore before what they, what they sounded like because I used to yeah. I want to know I'm bothered about the music but then you dig into the tunes and, and there's something going on there and I think when I saw them live I thought, I thought like maybe not this record I think the record's good but I think maybe they've got a few good records to come which is to the come, exact yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean and, and I think, Absolutely. like you were saying, Will, the Dublin thing is brilliant because it's just different, isn't it? If, 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 if Fontaine's were from London or Manchester, it wouldn't be happening for a month to this degree. No. In my yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. The Dublin thing is just exciting. There's a, re- there's a real authenticity to the, to the accent. Um, it comes with a lot of native singers as well, but yeah. Uh, and then anything else? I don't know. I'm a bit... I need to listen to more music, basically. A lot of my stuff's... It's not oh. sort of bands that you would play on a, like an indie night. Yeah. It, a bit more chilled out so I've been listening to yeah. maybe like more female singers yeah Lana Del Rey had a really good album recently oh yeah I've not I've not heard it I know it was coming Very out good. so I think it's oh, her best one know. and um, have you heard of Julia Jacqueline yes yeah I like yeah. Julia Jacqueline yeah their latest record's brilliant I don't know if I've heard her latest one actually that, that'd be interesting yeah it's really I think it's called Crushing right uh, then just bought um, St Vincent her last record yes. brilliant yeah St Vincent yeah um, yeah, I'm sort of drifting towards towards female, or maybe just myself, just trying to sort of like listen to something, like like mix it up for myself. So like Sharon Van Etten, quite like yeah, yeah. But it's no. all stuff you wouldn't, as a 16 year old, go to a gig and get into, is it? Because it it takes a little bit more time. It's a bit more mid tempo. So yeah, I feel yeah. like, I feel like if I'm on Twitter or something recommending bands, I think people who follow me are like, well, I don't give a shit about that, mate. Give me some, give me something more upfront. Give me the so name. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, do your yeah. fans then just recommend you, like, you know, bands that are a bit like Milburn then? Yeah, a little bit. So sometimes I put tweets out saying, what am I going to listen to? Like, see if yeah. anyone's got... I, I kind of get a lot of that, a lot of Milburn's like... first record thrown back at me. And... <laughs> just <laughs> listen to that again. That's fair enough. That makes total sense, doesn't it? Because... they your fans. <laughs> but you want to sort of remove yourself from a bit. So I get, like, loads of people recommending to me, listen to me stuff like DMAs. Yeah, and I don't. I don't want to listen to DMAs because I love the Oasis. Yeah, and that's that's really condescending towards DMAs. Maybe <laughs> I don't mean that. I mean, I don't want that in my life. I don't know. You don't, don't need. Know. You don't need. Yeah, the repeats. I guess you want something different. That makes sense. Um, no, not, let's like, not. There's no value to what they're doing. Yeah, it's of just, course. It's just not for me. At my and that's what music's about, isn't it? Like this massive range that people just dip into. What what how they're feeling. And when you're writing now as well, do you, or when you do write and, and whenever you feel like you might make another a record, if you do another good cop, bad cop record, you know, is your sound, again, do you want 
do you want to make something completely different? Where do you see that going? Where, what kind of things? I don't know. I think this, what this sort of coronavirus period will do for me is get me hungry again to yeah. write. I think exciting news. Yeah, after this that good cop record, I was kind of a bit like, what do I do next? What where do I go? So, because I, I, it's I was, a great record, by the way. I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. Good, thank you. I was. I was I, I'm gutted though. I was meant to come and see you, and then it ended up being the night that Arsenal played Napoli away in the Europa big game. You know, you know, big, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be along next time if there is one. Yeah, well, they, they should be, shouldn't they? I mean, like, I was really proud of that record. Yeah, it's I was, good. I was, I was proud of the fact that I just tried to, to. Obviously, it's got my voice on it, so I can't do anything about that. But I just tried to, to not. When I was making that record, I didn't pick up a guitar for like two or three weeks into the session because I needed, I needed sort of the, the essence of it to be not guitar music, not yeah. band music. I wanted it to be more synth-led and more drum machines and stuff. So whatever happened after that with the record, I was just proud that I'd achieved that. I'd yeah, done it. yeah. And I had such an amazing time doing it. I mean... Yeah, Matt, you went to live in LA, did you, for like a month or something? Yeah, yeah, it was really tough. Um, <laughs> I lived in... Um, Matt Elders, he's a drummer. He drums for a band. Um, I live... <laughs> we haven't mentioned him. No. What are they called? No, he drums for Iggy Pop. That's who he drums for. <laughs> um, and he was amazing. He just, I went over to his, he sort of built a studio in his garage because he wanted to get it set up. So my thing was a bit of a guinea pig project for him. Um, and then I lived at his house for a month and we ate loads of great food and, you know, saw loads of nice things and then made a record in the middle of it. It was lovely. He's, and he's got he's kids in, as well, right? He's got a kid, yeah. yeah. He's got a kid, right? Yeah. Um, it was great. It was, and I think we both really enjoyed that time in our lives. I think as well for him, being in LA is as beautiful as an amazing as it sounds. I think it gets a little lonely, and it's nice to have some some people come back home. From that. What an interview that was, Joe Carnell. That was. What a pleasure that was to speak to him. And he gave us, you know, so much of his time there. It, it, it never felt like a chore. I really enjoyed every single moment of that. It, it was amazing. I, I, I did worry about doing this podcast, whether we'd have to kind of, you know, churn the answers and the, and the stories out of the people we get on. But with, with Joe, he's set the bar so high. Um, it, it, it's on my top shelf, which I can't reach. So, you know, <laughs> it, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, absolutely. What, what an interview. What a story. He's always, you know, the, the the Milburn story is is fascinating, really, and it, and his own personal journey with music and his own demons with music, I suppose. He was so honest; it was really f- refreshing to hear. And obviously, you know, we we should probably clarify, you know, our own position with with the, you know, we talked about Arctic Monkeys a bit, but Joe brought them up as well. We you know we we were just it's such an interesting story, the links between the two yeah. of them. And I mean, like he, said, like he says, that they are the elephant in the room in, in, in yeah. most conversations he has about music, but it was good to sort of flesh those flesh those stories out and and get his his take on it because everyone does make the the obvious comparison or the obvious link, but to hear from, like, like he says, the, the people who got the ball rolling in Sheffield, yeah. and, and rightly so, they, his peers would agree with that. Uh, it was amazing to hear from the person who sort of got that ball rolling and set 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 it up for so many other bands alike. 
and, and you know we're obviously both massive Arctic Monkeys fans, and they to us, especially as I was saying to Joe before, we're the, we're Southerners, so to us, we Arctic Monkeys came first. It is what who we discovered first, anyway. They obviously of didn't course. come first, and so because of that, our relationship with Milburn is very linked to Arctic Monkeys. And yeah. but we do. But I would like to clarify that obviously we do have our own independent you know, liking and relationship with Milburn too. And as I've said to Joe there on the pod, you know, I went to see them four times. I was a big fan of all the albums. They're a great band, but I just think that it was very hard for people to separate them because they came from exactly the same, the same scene. I think that happens in music, doesn't it? Bands do get associated with other bands and you'll never shake those, those tags really, will you? Absolutely, yeah, and um, I think it was it was great to also hear Joe chat about some something we can all relate to so a bit more real life because he split the, the band stuff and the real life stuff so well, but drew a very nice yeah. comparison of how different they both are. Like just just chatting to him there about you know he left Milburn when he was twenty one, he split when yeah. he was twenty one. Twenty one is He's some people aren't, aren't aren't in a band, and he went to do a degree. Um, you yeah. know, so yeah, absolutely, a really fascinating story, and, and um, one I'm sure our listeners will will well, have just absolutely loved. One of the things that I um, found really fascinating was something that he touched touched on was was happiness, and it's something that I've heard before. Where Andy Nicholson, the the former bass player of Arctic Monkeys, did a podcast, and he was talking about the happiness of of the band now compared to maybe his own happiness being outside of it. And it does sound like we're getting these messages now from the people around that, that scene that maybe, you know, just that, that stardom and all that success for, for you know, Alex, Matt Hilders, Nick O'Malley and Jamie well, Cook isn't, isn't all it's cracked up to be. Well, maybe, maybe it's a case of too much of something is never enough. I mean, well, you know, they're on the sixth, the sixth album came out in, in 2018. Um, we all loved it. I think we can probably both agree it wasn't our favourite. But but when we when we have that Arctic Monkeys discussion, the one that is our least favourite doesn't is not a bad record at all because we, we both absolutely loved it at the same time. Um, but you know, six albums in, they're a lot older. Their ideas are a lot different, and so are their lives. Um, you know, yeah. I wonder if you do get weary. You know, unfortunately, you're not in your early twenties. You know, d- doing whatever you want and being a loose cannon. You know, your thoughts develop. Yeah, well, Joe was and, and in that as well. Life takes its toll on you, and maybe that transcends into the music on both on both fronts. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. So, Joe Carnell, that was our that was our first uh, indie hero. We're going to endeavour to find some more indie heroes uh, for this podcast. Um, a few names in the fire. We won't give them anywhere yet, just in case, you know, we don't get them. Oh, absolutely not. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but also we're going to not just do Indie Heroes podcast. We're going to do uh, a more general podcast, which we'll be doing next week where we, you know, just to have a look at what's going on in the world of music. There's a lot of coronavirus gigs. Liam Gallagher's doing some free gigs for the NHS, isn't he? And Jerry Cinnamon's just got an album out. We're going to chat yeah. a bit about music, basically. Ab- absolutely. And in the coming weeks, um, if you want to give uh, ask us any questions or submit your reviews on any uh, recent music, we are, our socials are as follows. We're on Twitter. We're at Mad Sounds London. So that's at Mad Sounds London, all one word. Um, and the London bit, mainly because we only operate in London. We're not planning to be an LBC thing where we just do that, but that is the original Twitter handle. It might change in the future, but for now it's Mad Sounds London. You can also follow us on Instagram. We're at those mad sounds and our Facebook is just mad sounds. So we are all on all the socials, but for the upcoming podcast, like Matt said, we've got lots planned coming up. We're going to be doing a bit of news, a bit of discussion, uh, lots of debate. So get following us on the socials. And one more thing just to add for next week's podcast, we did a little feature with Joe. So any Milburn fans that have stuck around to this end of the podcast, there is another, there is more bonus. Fe- um, there is more bonus. Bumper, footage, I'm going to say. Bumper, 
bumper bumper feature. There's the more, Lux, there's the more edition. To listen to. There's a little game where we put three tracks from a Milburn fan. So a Milburn fan gave us three tracks to put to Joe, and then Joe has to assess what he makes of those tracks being in this guy's top three. So telling us what he thinks of the tracks and also whether he thinks they were good decisions to be in his top three. And, and so that's really and, worth listening to. And you can wait until the end of the episode for a little teaser of that game next week. And yeah. one, one, one song is chosen by our very own Matt Maynard. I and I think you should stick around to gauge the reaction of Joe because it is rather <laughs> funny, especially when you're on a Zoom call, gauging the facial expressions. Um, obviously, it is audio only, but for, for us three in the Zoom parish here, um, <laughs> Matt revealing a very important song to him and Joe's facial expression in return was, um, yeah, I would definitely stick around for that. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, what a pleasure this, this, this week was. Um, looking forward to it and I'll, yeah, we'll, we'll see you next time. So that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thanks very much for listening uh, and we really hope you enjoyed Joe. We hope you enjoyed the game at the end as well and uh, please do stick around. Please make sure you subscribe on wherever you get your podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts, hit the subscribe button. If it's on Spotify, you can hit follow or wherever you get your podcasts. Just make sure you give a subscribe because we will be churning out some content in the coming weeks and when you've got nothing to do. Um, that's it from me. See you later. Goodbye. I might. I want. I really want to throw a wicked thing to say in because wicked thing to say is my, one of my favourite songs ever out of anything. Really, and it's, it's that like, is I've a got, really that is a mental thing to say. I've got a playlist um, which is like my mix on Spotify, and basically, sorry, if I'm listening to a song on that playlist, it goes jumps back to the start, and that's yeah. the song that plays. So I probably hear that song like three or four times a week. Really? Every, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Wicked thing to say is basically Tom Rowley, our guitarist, uh, trying to be Billy Bragg. That, that's it. We needed a B-side. This, this is exactly what you were saying, Will. We needed a B-side for something. I can't remember what, what it was, maybe what you could have worn. And so Tom just wrote that, and then I sung it once. I'd not even heard it before the studio, really. Really? We still worked out a song over it, and then I've not heard, I've not heard it You've barely heard it since. And I've heard it about 500 <laughs> times. It's Matt Maynard's favourite tune. That's amazing. That's why this. That's why this thing we do is incredible. Because yeah, not, once once we've sort of pressed the button on it, once it's that sounded really Gervais, that didn't it? Once <laughs> once we've released it, once it or once we've like recorded it, it's gone. It, it's left us, and it means so much. Some songs can mean fuck all to someone, and, and someone else could like have the first dance at the wedding to it. And yeah. I, I find I find that baffling. I think for me, as long as my band or my record is someone's favorite. If it's just one person's favorite record of that year, yeah, then I'm happy with that. I'll take that. I had a tweet yesterday saying like a gig at Bristol last this year from Good Cop was the best gig they've ever been to. And, I, and he said I've been to see like Pulp and Happy Mondays and a couple of name checks from big bands. And I just tweeted him saying I think you need to go and see your GP mate because uh, that's a bit odd. But then I, 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 I like reflecting and I think fair enough. Like, nice one. That's amazing that you yeah. think that good. And obviously, I'm self-deprecating Northerner, so I'm going to take the piss out of myself. Um, <laughs> but just to have people care that much when you don't think they ought to, it's yeah. amazing.